Black Business University is the authority on black business success and black entrepreneurship, bringing you the latest in strategies, tactics, tools, tips, and resources to help you create soaring success. Be sure to rate the show and, of course, let us know what you need to stay ahead of the business curve. Go to blackbusinessuniversity.com to get your free trial of BBU. And now, here's today's episode. Y'all give it up for Russell Simmons! Am I mic on? Can I move? Yeah. Come on. This is my car. This is my car. How you doing this young? We had an event last night. How many of you attended? Oh, I saw you, Ben. It was a very inspiring evening last night. Is it on? No, now Anyway, it was uh, Magic Johnson was our honoree, along with Ava Longaria. Uh, and lots of athletes came, right? And they were all big participants in this program that we have in Africa. And the program is called the Diamond Empowerment Fund. And it's a free college in Africa. 3,200 students in their um, free college, and they're meditators. And so they're, they're uh, servants, and all the people who have, um, all the people who uh, get out of that school have, have been great con- contributors to Africa. And so it's a very inspiring thing, with a rip- it has a rippling effect, because all the students, they teach what they learn in their communities as well. So anyway, that, that was uh, last night. It was an inspiration. It reminded me of uh, purpose. You know, purpose. We all have it. You know, them, and we kind of uh, lose our way in the pursuit of things, and and it just grounds you to see because it was tapes about the students and discussions with the students, and it, and then there was lots of gifts from people who could afford it for the students. And I was uh, really inspired because I, it was an idea that I, I found and I brought to America and I've been working on it. Last year we raised almost $8 million from the diamond industry for this school and we want to make more schools like it. And uh, so it was very inspiring last night. And uh, I, found, I found that's really what makes me happy. That's really the thing that really moves me. That and my other four charities that I, that I operate in. Those are the best run businesses I have, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Not sorry to say, but shit. The more you give, the more you get. So, so I need to run my other businesses as well as that foundation in Africa and some of the other charities that I run. But <clears throat> what I'm, I'm here for, so I'm not a button-up executive. Uh, I'm not a numbers guy, uh, necessarily. Um, I'm not, I don't write good business plans without a lot of support. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a creative person, and 
and I kind of understand um, a little bit about how I got here, you know, in terms of building new businesses, the process, what I've learned about them, and, and what I want to share with you is uh, the basic stuff, the stuff that's been taught to you over and over again, and I want to try to reframe it. Um, I thought I'd start with this story, the story I told it a few times, but more, the more I hear it, the more I think of how critical it is for us to understand this story. Stories about um, a few years ago, I went back to my, my neighborhood where I grew up. Uh, most of my friends, I'm, I'm old, right? They're dead in jail. Or if they're not dead or in jail, they're, they're, um, they're probably not still standing there, but some do, you know? There's a few that do. Still standing in the same corner in Hollis Avenue. Anyway, this kid, uh, call him kid, comes up on Hollis Avenue at 2 in the afternoon. He's still at that same dip. I can see him from where the block, that same dip he got. You know, um, and he got closer, of course, the age was on him. And shit, if I age quick, he aged quicker. Right? And I'm looking at him, he's like carrying a lot of a weight on his shoulders. You can see it in his face. And he's like, yo, son, what's up, man? I ain't seen you in, you know what I mean? He's, he's talking. And then he finally lets it out. Yo, son, bless me. Bless him. And I looked at him, and the first thing you would notice if you, you, know, you heard, bless me, I'm starving. Right, that's what I'm And the first thing I noticed is he's like 300 pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean I'm, not making, I'm not gonna tell you his name or nothing, but he's 300 pounds, and he said, bless him, he's starving. And I'm looking at my pockets, I'm trying to figure out, you know, can I get my assistant? She got some paper. I don't have any money in my pocket. All right, so 50 bucks, a blessing. And he's going, what's he going to do? Because like, it's 2 in the afternoon, he got 50 bucks. He's going to get high. From one of the things he's going to do for sure. He's going to get high. He may eat a Twinkie. He's going to have a Twinkie, right? And, um, and if he's lucky, he's going to have some, some uh, sex with a, in, some new girl. Right. During the story, I was married then, so, so I, I look, I think about him, and um, it's two in the afternoon. I was up at five a.m. Uh, I was up. I'd been through meditation. I'd been on stairmaster. I'd done some yoga poses. I'd been to work. I've, you know, I've been through tons of different um, opportunities or. Um, obstacles. I've been challenged all day. You know, then I had to take the long drive to Queens from Manhattan to see him, and he's just getting up. So he's slept. He's going to get a Twinkie. I can't have a Twinkie. I'm a vegan. I don't eat any dairy, egg, fish, none of that. I don't eat anything, with no animal product at all. So he's two for, he's, he slept late. He's having a Twinkie. He's going to get high. I used to think getting high was fun. I don't even get high no more, so I can't do that either. And at the time, well, still, I try not to have sex with new girls, some new girl. <laughs> so I couldn't even do that shit. I couldn't do nothing he's going to do. So this guy must be rich. He's got everything we're fighting for. I bet, this, I bet he got cable, or his mama got cable. 
Because the only thing I can think of, like, if I could get home and watch Larry David or something, you know, not now, but Larry David. That's it. What else? They can't give you nothing. And the only blessing I could give him is consciousness. And that's the thing that we want to operate from. Because that's the source of all wealth. That core inside you, that thing that operates you, that piece of God inside you is the, is the most attractive thing and the most inspirational thing. And it, it's, it's what makes you, the only receipt in life, of course, if you have everything, and the guy's already rich, is happiness and consciousness. Operating from there is how you build wealth. And when you're rich, then you, you recognize you don't need anything. Other than that, it's a constant struggle. And it'll be a struggle. It should be, I'm still struggling. I got five charities, I gotta feed them, I gotta, you know, it's a constant struggle, it's a rat race, you know what I'm saying? It's a constant treadmill. But the treadmill gets easier when you operate from a comfortable seat. And what we wanna learn as the core principle to operate from a comfortable seat. In fact, many would argue that that's life's journey to learn to be comfortable and still in their seat. So the moving stillness is really attractive. Um, recognize that they can't give you nothing. If you go through life that way, you know, it's a practice, but the more you can remember, the easier it is to go out in the world and be a good servant. And of course, if you wake up in the morning and decide on what you're gonna give that day, and if you focus on that gift, you do it from a place of ease. You work harder than everybody else because you're not distracted by the noise and the distractions that are, are everywhere and the fear that separates you from your goal. I know that people have read the book, The Secret. I saw a part of it. I've talked to many people about it, so I should watch the whole thing before I comment on it, but there's no secret without God. And, that's, and that piece of God inside you is the thing that they're referring to and they say, imagine. There's a great yogi say, the imagination is God. As are all things, it's all God, a living, breathing God, but the imagination for an individual who has focus and dedication, between the focus, the dedication, the imagination, and the faith, you become a miracle worker. And that's when Jesus said, ye are all gods, all these things I do, you can do, this is the state of Christ consciousness. This is what the, the yogis call samadhi, and the Buddhists, the Buddhists call nirvana. This is the state of consciousness that allows you to become even more effective. You all have it. You're all operating from it. But the awareness that this is the, the awareness that this is your core will bring you to any kind of toys or worldly things you think you need. So this is what it is. We're here for, you know, to get rich. Um, and if our goal is to be great servants in a particular area, I, I, everything you sell that makes people happy, uh, makes you happy. I want to add to that one, one statement to this core, core idea. It's nice to sell things that promote lasting happiness, that promote stable happiness. 
because there's a karmic effect to what you sell. So try to give good service and good products. Because you know, if you sell drugs, drugs are like really hot. People get them, they're happy. It's like bombs, and people are like, I got that bomb, I'm gonna blow them up. They, they got a bomb. The person who sells the bomb is happy for short term, but you know, the drug dealer will die before the drug addict. Uh, and so you have to watch what you sell, choose something that inspires you, and, and something you think is a good contribution to the world. Now, I, I know you want to talk about how we can make money, so I ain't going to overlook you know, your purpose here. But um, I'll try to, I, I think I'd like to try to answer your questions on the subject, because that core is really, I hope, sticks with you and becomes the basis for your operation. That's what it is. Right, so we're going to take your questions. We're going to have, can you help me out, brother? You're going to run the mic for me? No discussions about your demo. <laughs> you know, if you have demos, you can give them, if they're copywritten, you can give them the back of the room, but it's not about, make sure your questions are questions you think that everyone will be interested in the answer. Hey, how you doing, Russell? Yes, sir. My name is Rod. I'm just curious, when you started Def Jam, what was your vision? Before you got into Run DMC, what were you thinking when you started the company? I had Run DMC before Def Jam. Run DMC was on a, a, another label profile, but the idea of Def Jam was that no one really, and, and this is the way I, as a creative entrepreneur, this is how I built my businesses. Each one is the same. There's no one doing it. Don't nobody want to make an album. They just want to make 12 inches. No one really respects the artist who wants to build a career or an image. They just thought it was a disposable art form, like disco or something. You know, and so that was what the disco labels put out singles and sold the singles and 12 inches. And sometimes didn't pay the artist, most, most times. And didn't care. Like a hit record by this artist is disposable. It wasn't the basis for a career. Uh, Curtis Blow was the first album ever um, for a rapper, and then after that, um, there were very few except for compilations. And then when I started my label, LL Cool J, was an album, a whole package and an image pro process. So that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, service the artist. It's really how I built most of my businesses, servicing the artist and their needs. Yeah, my yeah. right here is next, right? But is there a, he's next, because he had his hand up first. Hi, Russell, how are you? A question I have, uh, I've recently started the process of learning how to uh, meditate. The problem I'm having, though, it's finding that gap, <clears throat> excuse me, that gap, that quiet spot where you can shut out all the noise. Any suggestions you can give me for that? Yeah, I can um, meditate. I've been teaching... Um, not teach, I've been working at education seminars, they bring meditation to schools. In fact, the school um, last night, uh, the most beautiful testimonies from these college kids who walk in off the street and become meditators and the whole school's a big ball of light, it's unbelievable. And there's examples of schools, I'm just telling to everybody else, that you probably already noticed, there's an example of a school in Detroit that was the worst and became the best because of their meditation in the hood. I mean, not just, you know, it's not a foreign idea quiet time, they call it. Um, because they have a mantra, 
and one mantra, transcendental meditation will give you one mantra, it'll be a vibration, and you can repeat it, you know, for the purposes of everyone in the room, if you were to say the, the mantra could be wrong, right? Now, this is just, it's a holy mantra, people give it out, but they usually give it out one to one meditator, and it's his own mantra, he keeps it secretly. But for purposes of sharing with everyone, that, that would be a decent mantra. So if you were to repeat that word, the holy word, rums, vibration, and you repeat it, and all your thoughts, hundreds of thoughts, everybody has hundreds of thoughts up here. You repeat the mantra, and if you just breathe and relax, find a comfortable seat, and keep repeating it. You're going to lose it. You know, you'll forget it, but just keep repeating it. Concentrate on the holy vibration. And all the thoughts will kind of subside. And the medical, also when I spoke at, at, at these education forums, doctors from Harvard and other places would tell you what the brain does and how it transforms people's brains and their lives. There are many doctors and many studies on these schools, the ones that were spreading around America and that one in Africa. So the brain's up, waves up here, and then the mantra's down here. And you rum, rum, rum. And the world slows down. And when they refer, when the yogis refer to Christ consciousness, or samadhi, or nirvana, they refer to it where there's no noise. The space where they're totally calm and your nervous system is still, and the noise subsides and you have one thought or one focus. You find yourself, when you're reading sometimes, and you, something that's interesting to you, you find yourself not even breathing. Great yogis meditate and they cut off all the air. They sit still for indefinite amounts of time. You, you want to still the mind. And that's part of your journey inward. That strength that we talk about. So meditation is a very critical part for some in, in bringing you to a place where you're connected. So if you were to have that mantra and just to be patient and you didn't try to meditate, just try to remember your mantra. And just sat. Before you know it, the noise would start subsiding. First thing, maybe you take inventory. All the stuff that's going on in your brain would be play out in front of you. All the noise, all the problems, all the stuff. And then they start getting less and less important. And then the vibration takes over a little bit. You may never lose all of There's always thoughts on top of it. But sometimes you can transcend all the thoughts. And even the vibration will go away. And for a second, you're fine. And and you can sit for 20 minutes. Any one of you could try that and sit for 20 minutes. And it's different from sitting the two minutes that you first start with a minute. You could sit in your first, just be determined to sit. And you'll find yourself in 10 minutes in deep meditation. And you'll find that it's one of the most helpful things that, that will change your life. So it's really like you can't think about meditating. You know, you can't say, I'm going to sit in this place and I'm not going to move. If you want to scratch, you can scratch. But, but you'll find that after a while, it's like, I don't want to scratch, it's too much trouble. And you find that the mantra is more satisfying than the, than the horrible thoughts or different thoughts that were in the top. The mantra is more satisfying. You'll think a thought through and come back to your mantra because it's more attractive to you than the noise. And this is a practice that if you do it regularly, it will change your life. So I don't know who wanted to hear that, but it's something I think is very important for those who you're welcome. We have to figure out who, man. You can't just, you have to, you have to help find, man. You stand there looking around. You got the bike? 
Oh, he's got the mic. I'm sorry. Okay. You watching to see who's next? You in charge? All right. Okay. Uh, I have a, I have a, a small chain of, of urbanware stores, and I would, uh, I have two questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, I want to, well, look, one of the things I was inspired by your book when you said you were blessed whenever you bless others with opportunities to create wealth. And I want to, from that, I was inspired to, to try to start a network. Number one, I want to know how, how do you do that? Um, like how do you find the right people to accomplish that goal? And number two, I want to build a brand similar to what you did in uh, Fat Farm and what are your suggestions on it? Well, how many stores do you have? Uh, I have five. Five stores. Well, what are they called? 3D. Well, you, know, you want to start a brand? You've got a brand. Well, um, that's a tough business. I escaped. You know, I, I'm still getting back in, but the actual Fat Farm business, the Rockaway, the Sean John, the, it's a very tough business. You know, this next generation is in many cases, when they gotten older. That brand was $800 million, now it's struggling. You, you're selling those urban clothes, those kind of brands? Yeah. Um, uh, I started a, a new company because uh, it was an honest expression. You get older, it's like, what's Senator Obama go away? He can't wear Fat Farm. Uh, what's Will Smith or Adam Sandler grew up on Fat Farm. I've seen his last movie, he's wearing Fat Farm, and he didn't, it didn't, <laughs> didn't look right on him, and sometimes I think, <laughs> No, not anymore. When I first gave it to him 15 years ago, it looked cool on him. But the same with me. I'm old as shit. I designed, it was hard to design young men's clothes. So I did Argyle Culture, new brand. It's a little bit more. It's the urban graduate. It's really it's just today. That's what I say. It's the urban graduate. But it's an honest expression. It's much more fun designing. I don't have a young men's buyer telling me that he needs more graphics. I have a different buyer in Macy's telling me he, they want something different. You know, I'm competing with Ralph. I'm alone, the big void. So that's just one thing about this shift, because it's a big void and people want to buy it. Um, and because when you go to the other young men, there's 15 brands by African Americans, uh, and they're all competing for a space that is struggling, in general. So that's just a, 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 my perception of the marketplace. But about building a brand, you already did it. It's called 3D. Um, how do you make it unique? You find unique product, I guess. You know, it's one thing. You build proper merchandise that makes it look unique inside. You make the product and the, uh, special, and that's what makes it attractive. And from there, you can sell it, but you can't sell it until you make the, the, the actual thing more attractive. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying that's the core of the brand, uh, that people have an experience when they shop there that's unique. So. That's the best, that's a good tip without having seen it. Hi, Russell. My name is Kim Harris. I'm over here. How should are you? you guys, should they line up or something? She figure out a way that they won't be so, or maybe you're paying attention. I don't know. I'm sorry. You paying attention? <laughs> you, you got what you got? Okay, because they're putting their hands up and they're looking at me, I feel. Okay. Okay, my question is, um, at what point in your life did you come to this spiritual uh, realization uh, or awareness, and, and how did that come about? 
it's a constant struggle, the idea to remember, to remember these ideas that you already know. You know, and I, I, I was uh, talking about my book recently and I said, if there's anything new in it, let me know, but I have to get it out of the book. Because the whole book is just stuff we already know, right? So the realization is a good word, because it's, you know, oh, you mean to tell me I've been bumping my head and this is, it's an ongoing process. You know, you, know, you don't repeat the same stupid things, and sometimes it, you get a hold to the idea that you have faith in one idea that's going to work if you don't do the same stupid thing. And you have faith that, and then you do it a few times and it really gets boring, the stupid thing. It's like, I don't even want to do that anymore. Much less do I know it's wrong or did I, st I stop, do I have to resist? I had to put a cigarette down and say, I don't want this. Damn, he's smoking a cigarette? You'd be mad at them if they got a cigarette. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then after a while, it's like, you know, you tell yourself there's a disgust for the cigarette. It makes you sick. But you still, you still kind of want it, right? But there's this process. And then one day you wake up and you say, I'm sorry, this person's hurting themselves. They're smoking a cigarette. You can't imagine ingesting. You can't imagine doing it. This is the practice of, of escaping all the hurtful things that we have every day. It's like you, you do them. Sometimes you fake them. You know better. And you just get the confidence and the courage to not to do them. So there's a, uh, the re resistance you have to build up against things that are hurtful and the comfort that you find you know at first I gotta go home I can't hang out with you no more you, I, no, no more drinking I'm gone I'm two in the morning and you, and you wake up the next morning you have a half a headache you feel a little better you can do it again I gotta go home the next day like I'm not going y'all gonna go do what you I'm not interested I prefer my meditation in the morning I want it to be clear it's more it's a brighter experience so it's an ongoing process to come to realize what you know is true. So that's it. You, I already know that. I've done it. You know, take some time. You get stupid like me. It take a long time to get older before you learn what we hope babies know. I mean, you know, we hope that babies know these things. But sometimes you have to bump your head until you get it. And so I'm still bumping my head, you know, in many areas. Hi, Russell. My name is Teresa Freeman. I just want to say I can appreciate and thank you for speaking of God and that inner core that you're talking about because it doesn't matter what you have, what you create. He is the creator and it comes through you. And then it's your job to use other people's tools as Dr. Fran is doing today this whole weekend to utilize everybody's tool to use. But no matter what CDs you have, no matter what tapes, no matter what paper, as long as you know what you have, that God gave you, you will succeed. Then he will teach you how to do it. I have a special need child. When I thought I had this child, I thought I had a tragedy, but it's not a tragedy. He gave me a gift through God that's so enormous that it's just almost scary to know how this thing is gonna come. I know the outcome is gonna be phenomenal. I just can't wait to put it into play. I've worked on it, I've done everything he said, I'm doing it, but most importantly, what we fail to do is remember who gave it to us. <coughs> That's who you talk about. You be a servant for God, and everything else will come to you right at your hand. So I thank you for that. My daughter even told me, she says, you know, I told her Russell Simmons is gonna be there, you know, I'm gonna, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. She was like, wow, Mom, Russell Simmons, you know, he's a, uh, 
Because she looks at me, because I, I don't, I don't want to say I can't stand hip hop, but sometimes the music gets to me. <laughs> and she's like, and, and you're going to listen to him? And to sit here and to hear you say that, I can't wait to get home to tell her, you have him all wrong. Yeah, if anything, right. he's just like me. Think of God and the rest will come. So thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that first. Don't be um, I don't know, it's my job to always repeat these same things, almost like a mantra. Don't be afraid of uh, the poets. They're full of consciousness. They're full of, I mean, full of it. They don't want to admit it. You know, they don't want to, like, you don't let them, they won't tell you that they're part of this flowering and this new consciousness, but the poets always are, always have been. You know, the smart people do all the dirt. The sophisticates, the educated ones do a lot of the dirt, you know. They bomb the innocent people, they enslave the people, they put them in ovens, they do ethnic cleansing all over the world, they do ignore the poor, they abuse the animals, they do it. Poets sometimes are a little closer to the ground, to the core, because they write from inside. And always they can point to the contradictions. Sometimes they sound like they're all the smart people, but that's when they're, when they're not writing good music. You know, but when they say things that are core and essential to our spirit, and we kind of overlook them, like, how, how dare he say that? I like to repeat, how always, uh, not so sexist as their parents. No matter what they say, they ain't as sexist as their parents. Or they're not as racist as their parents, not as homophobic as their parents. And the, the line I, I shouldn't have said when I was campaigning, I said one time I was campaigning with Senator Obama. They certainly ain't gangsters, this government. <laughs> so, so, you know, they're, they're okay. Now, did you ask me a Great morning, Mr. Simmons. It is, it, first of all, let me please say that it is an honor to be in your presence this morning. Um, but my question is, and by the way, my name is Pilgrim. My question is, in your process of building massive wealth, well, would you mind sharing with us your daily itinerary? I'm sorry? Would you mind sharing with us I your care. daily... I can't. If I knew what I was, I'd... If, first of all, I'm not rich. My ex-wife is rich. <laughs> I don't know. That's a joke. I don't want to say <laughs> But, but um, wait. Uh, mind sharing with you my daily regimen. I wish I could. I, you know, I wake up, I do wake up, and I do always meditate, and I do always go to class. When I'm at work, like I don't, give a, I don't care what's happening, it's 4.15, or it's 6.15, or 6.45, or it's 8 o'clock, or 10 o'clock, or even 8.30 at night. They're going to carve out my yoga practice, my physical practice, aside from wasting a half an hour in meditation in the morning and before bed. So I'm going to do my spiritual practice no matter what they say. So even when the contract's ready to sign, I'm going to do that. So it's, it's, it's in my schedule. Other than that, it's like I'm a servant to so many causes. We have you know, five charities, and I have different companies that are developing, and some are doing well already, and, you know, and they take up my time. Um, I find myself in Detroit. We, I mean, in, um, one morning I wake up, and I'm in Dallas. One morning I wake up, and you know, I'm in Dallas. I had a fundraiser yesterday. Um, for the Diamond Empowerment Fund. 
you know, those kids in Africa are a priority. You know, all day yesterday with meetings with philanthropists. This is a rich town, Dallas. So lots of good people with uh, good hearts helped us with the, the event last night. So my schedule changes. I have different companies. You can go online. You can go to my, my internet and see all of the work that we do at all the different subjects. Just go to myownname.com, russellsimmons.com. Uh, I spent a lot of time on this new internet investment, globalgrind.com. A lot of time on that. It's a, and it's a constant cash call. Spends a lot of money. Lots of technology woven together to be a kind of a, a portal for all of what goes on on the site, on the, on the web, that has to do with kind of this urban graduate hip-hop space. So all those who grew up on hip-hop and see the world a certain way, and all those who are hip-hop. So the news and the politics and the gossip and the entertainment, and all one place. So maybe we could then use them to, we worked hard to use them to vote, for instance. So globalgrind.com is a time consumer. Uh, how you doing, Mr. Simmons? My name is Richard. I'm a longtime admirer. Uh, I just have a question. In your life, what would you consider to be maybe your biggest failure, and how did you overcome it, and how did you get past it, and what types of things did you do? Oh, you, you, or what did you take away from the it? The sad days, you try to, if you think back, and if you really try to figure out how sad they were, it's kind of a little bit gray, maybe, or not at all. You look back, there's no real... You know, you learn from struggle. So at the moment, struggle is, you know, there's maybe some pain. Um, but the pain is kind of a, you know, really, so it's, and people don't get this, so I say it sometimes, so maybe some of you will. The, the worst struggle is the greatest teacher. I don't remember, you know, what comes from the struggle? We were talking earlier, someone said something about um, their, their, their child who had become a source of inspiration. And last night, when well, I didn't know what to say about magic, when I got on the stage, I looked at him and I thought, you know, he's a great philanthropist. He has his Magic Johnson Foundation. He's a great entrepreneur, I mean, a really great entrepreneur. He's building things all over this country. He's an inspiration to black people. He's a, you know, when you run a charity, especially if you run a charity, they give you awards for running a charity. Magic Johnson said, well, I don't need an award for this. I do this because it's the right thing to do. And he gets an award, though. He gets applauded. Then he, after I tried to give him an award, he gets on stage and start making everybody stand up and applaud me. Very gracious, very sweet, but, you know, we're applauding Magic. And he brought everybody to tears. He's like a preacher. I don't know if you know that. Magic Johnson can speak. He's, you know, so... The, and when I got up, I said, what am I going to talk about? His foundation? Magic Johnson gave us a gift that is different from these people who are on the surface so brilliant and sweet. And so they're not bad. They may have the most honest intention, and they may be willing to do anything to make the cause or lighten the load or the suffering of other people. But Magic Johnson proved it to you. When he says, I'm HIV, what can I do for those afflicted with HIV? What can, how can I turn my life over? I don't expect a return. People might treat me funny. They might not let me in the party anymore. I might lose a lot of what, you know, what I enjoy in life. I'm willing to lay it on the line. I gave, he gave everything. That's a gift. That's an honest, heartfelt gift. And you have to take your struggle 
and turn it into something good. So his struggle became something great, a service to the world. It made his life more fulfilling. It made everybody's life better. Many people saw him as the hero, millions of Americans, as a hero that could not be replaced. And for that, his, his heart was lifted. So that's what the biggest obstacle is when you find a place that you've really given. And that's what you have to do with these obstacles. You could go lay down, you know, but it's the best of what you do in those times is what makes you who you are. Thank you, sir. Okay, they got people back there with the mics. The people are back there with the mic. Sorry. Uh, we only got time for uh, one more person to speak. I feel bad that he can't speak. He been, you had your hands since the beginning. Did you know they were back there? Well, I'm going to do him. I'm, I'm fortunate to the person online, this guy before everybody, he's taking only better. And I don't know why I'm giving him a pass but for not looking around. But I would like to do this person and him, if it's okay. I'm sorry to those behind him. Russell, I just wanted to ask you on your uh, jury line, uh, I invested into it. Can you give me a little bit on your creative design? Did you were you part of that? And then also tell me a little bit about the yoga and how did you benefit with the yoga. All right, two things. The jewelry design and yoga. <laughs> the jewelry design, you know, I started a jewelry company because it just made uh, sense of such a big void. No black people at all. The creative people come to me, they show me jewelry. I mean, I don't think I designed with this. This last year raised a lot of money for Africa. Like probably $700,000 in proceeds from this went to Africa. Uh, so this is everywhere. This is. But, the rest of the jewelry is like they, you know, they had a young designer, didn't work at the jewelry, but he brought me the most obvious stuff. Cool as, I mean, cool as hell is obvious to me. It, but it's not obvious to, to K's and Zales and Fortune Off and, because they got no black people at all. Like when I was in the clothing business, no black people at all. At the convention, a thousand booths. We had a booth, we were the only African American. I spoke at the jewelry convention and it was, 2,000 people, nobody at all. I mean, there was nobody, it was just the jewelry. It wasn't like the diamond business where there'd be a couple of Africans, so it was no black people. And so, culturally, I gave something different. And not only color, it was about culture. And they just didn't get it. This thing they didn't get. So we designed stuff that filled a big void. It's not that boring. It's actually, some of it's very, very creative, but it kind of suits a hole in the market. Most of you will stop in these stores to buy a wedding ring if you want to break on it, you know, a decent price and you want to get it fast, but you don't expect to walk in there and find nothing specific to the cultural experience that, especially men's jewelry, that's emerging. <coughs> so we fill a big void. That's the, the diamond, uh, that's the Simmons Jewelry Company does that. But this bracelet is the, is the only marketing opportunity we've had is to market this. And this is being worn by lots of us. Prayer beads, it's not a normal thing for Zales, but we have sold a lot of them at um, Kay's Jewelers and other places, Macy's and other places. Now, about the yoga, you know, when you get old, you better figure out something. You can't all keep playing ball if you're old basketball players. <laughs> you find out. You snap your ankle, it's, it's going to stay that way for a long time. But in the yoga practice, there are eight steps. And the asana practice is one of the eight steps. Asana means seat in Sanskrit, seat. So you want to be comfortable in your pose. If you can do any, and the idea is smile and breathe in every pose. 
Every difficult pose, you smile and breathe, and you take that idea off your mat. So um, I go to some very aggressive classes. I always did. You know, I only went the first time 15 years ago because there were so many fine girls in the class. No, no straight guys, me and a man Bobby Srider. And he took me and I was amazed. And the, and the particular teacher played a lot of hip hop music um, in LA. He, he had been a monk. He's a very serious, he's a raw foolish for 40 years now. He's in excellent physical shape. He teaches amazing classes in LA. But anyway, um, so I went for that reason. And I remember the first thing that went was the anxiety. And just from the physical poses, just from moving the energy, um, lots of anxiety went away and my insomnia went away. But anyway, that's the asana practice, the physical practice of yoga. And it is one of the eight steps in yoga, and it's very simple. The science of yoga is very simple. I'm trying to talk too long about it because I'm passionate about it. The first steps are the yamas, and they're like the Ten Commandments. There are five simple ideas. Ahimsa, non-harming, non-stealing, non-lying, control of sexual power. They, you know, yogis translate that different from don't have sex. They're like, okay, anyway. The fifth one is a parigaha, which is non-greed. So you have these constant ideas that are like the Ten Commandments, and you have these observances, then you have the asana practice, and you have the breath. And so it leads to state of Christ consciousness. It's a simple eight-step process. Uh, there's great yogis who say it's the science of religion. The scripture was written 5,000 years ago about these, this classical yoga practice. And it's a very simple one, a deeply spiritual practice. And when you tie the physical practice to these, to these ideas, then it's like going to moving prayer. So it's, it's a good way to come out feeling like you feel out of church, but then you come out of how you feel out of the gym, and you feel connected. So that's the purpose of yoga for me, and so um, that's the way it's written, and it's what it's promoted as. No, a man like you, who's been. Hi, Russell. I'm Alonzo Harris, and I was at the event last night. And, you know, uh, just seeing you uh, when you first came to Dallas with your book, and down in Whitney last month, uh, in September, uh, you mentioned again a moment ago about how difficult it is for African-American people of color to get into the diamond. How difficult and how would one do that if that's a pursuit? And you also talk about commerce and cause, and which are greater cause give back to the children of Africa. First of all, how do we get into the diamond business? That's well, um, that's a good question. I backed my way in. Well, the diamond business mostly on seven, and mostly um, in New York. American diamond business, a great part of it, the jewelry companies. Uh, there is now a, you know, when I got into the clothing business and we had the beginnings of success, lots of African American companies came right after it because the success that we're having in those stores by being unique, it's not the color, of course, it's culture. So if you go make the same thing as everybody else, you're in the same struggle as everybody else. But you may walk in and say, I'm a jewelry designer, and you have, built some, you have some friends who buy your jewelry. Like a rap record, you gotta get a hot record or they won't talk to you. You know, they're not gonna just say, oh, that's a good melody. They may not even tell you that's a good design. If you have a good design, it's a good, come here and work for me. Right, that's what they say, you're a good designer. That looks like the stuff that they're selling in Zales that no one knows how to make but the, the one black designer. Maybe I'll hire you. So it's a good way to get a job. <coughs> but to build a jewelry company, I'm sorry, I'm not sick. Anyway, um, 
to build a company on these ideas, you have to build a buzz. Like in almost anything now, especially this economy. You have to have an attractive company that people see as developing, even if it's small, and you can then take that small buzz and sell it to somebody. Uh, maybe for a royalty, but you own it. Because, you know, depending on how much, what kind of person you are. Do you want to travel and source and produce jewelry? You need some funding for that, and you need, you know, to learn that business. You know, it's about study, depending on what level of the business you really want to take. Seriously, you know, what, you know, if you want to be a manufacturer, then you have to study the manufacturing process and figure out how to source and produce and find, you know, inspiration. There's so many different angles to be, just like in any business, you know, so how do you get in the rap business where you become an executive or you become a singer, you become a producer, you know. So in jewelry, it's the same. You become the creative or the producer or you do it all. Doing it all, um, you find a jewelry company in Manhattan that will manufacture your samples. You know, when you, you pay them to manufacture your samples, you own them. Here's your design. You get orders on them. You start a process. So that's the way almost anything is. You have to start the process and educate yourself on the subject. Thank you, Russell. Well, thank you. Thank Russell Simmons, everybody. Let's get up. Get up and give it up, Jason.